3: Where does Sean Payton go now? Will he go anywhere? That's the question many Saints fans are still asking themselves as the month starts to wind down for January. Frank Wright, the former Indianapolis Colts head coach and quarterback coach, offensive coordinator during the Philadelphia Eagles Super Bowl run from a few years ago. Has now been hired as the Carolina Panthers head football coach. And we know that Sean Payton has taken his name or canceled second interviews with multiple teams. Yet, a day after we got that report, we saw evidence and a report that Sean Payton was meeting with Arizona and having extensive interview process with the Cardinals so what's going on is he taking a job does he want a job is he just doing this to you know get a free meal in different locations who knows who knows because as it stands right now on this chilly Friday morning January 27th of 2023 we still have no idea where Sean Payton is going Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parts Third, better known as RP3. we got a good show lined up for you today. We'll be talking McNeese basketball, Raging Cajun basketball. The Houston Astros finally hired themselves a general manager. Zion Williamson got himself an all-star starter nod. And so much more. And of course... We'll take your phone calls. Game hotline is open. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. New producer, Dawson's in the house. Old producer, Hannah Five Names is in the house. So if you want to hit us up and say goodbye to Five Names on her official final day as producer of RP3 and Company and of the footnotes, you are encouraged to do so or if you just want to say hannah bye get out of here felicia i want to talk to the new guy then that's you can do that as well whatever your motivation is we're not going to be judging we're not going to be judging not going to judge at all but let's start off with the sean payton saga that seemingly will never end a few days ago we get the reports that the second round of interviews canceled. No more follow-up interviews, second interviews with the teams. Apparently, Sean Payton had decided, no, we're good. We also hear the report that something is hanging up the situation in Denver. Reportedly, Sean Payton has some concerns about the ownership group which is ran by the Waltons of Walmart fame and fortune. That there's concerns about a power struggle. There's concerns about meddling. Despite the fact that Russell Wilson has made his pitch to Sean Payton, that the Broncos really, really want Sean Payton to come over, that it's essentially a done deal if Sean wants the job. But apparently there's some trepidation from Payton's camp about the Broncos. So, second interviews canceled. Denver Broncos, apparently there's some sort of issue, in particular from Sean Payton, about the power structure of the Broncos. So, a few days ago, it appeared that Sean Payton would be just headed back to broadcasting it would not be roaming the sidelines of the NFL this coming fall. And then the Carolina Panthers deciding to go and hire Frank Wright, that eliminates one of the few jobs that is actually open. Remember last year we had 10 jobs. This year they're cut in half. So there's only so many vacancies that need to be filled. And Carolina is now off the board. And – I don't know if Frank Reich will do a good job for the Carolina Panthers. Things did not end well in Indy. Whether that was his coaching or the front office trying to kick the can down the road without drafting a quarterback to replace Andrew Luck and just trying to find whatever veteran guy that was on his last leg. Phillip Rivers... Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan. It didn't work out, right? Going the old veteran route, hey, what you got left in the tank? You can still breathe? Wait, hold on. You can still drive yourself. Come on down. Let's be the starting quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts. Whether that was the front office with Ballard and, of course, Jim Ursay is the Jerry Jones of the Midwest, nothing gets done without his hands all over it. It's hard to tell if Frank Wright got a fair shake there in Indy. It's hard to tell. Great backup quarterback. Had a great story, right, with the Buffalo Bills. Backing up Pro Football Hall of Famer Jim Kelly. Played a long time in professional football. And look, the resume was... Pretty good. Started off as a position coach for the Colts, then the Cardinals, Chargers, offensive coordinator for the Chargers, then became the offensive coordinator for the Philadelphia Eagles, helped them win a Super Bowl. He was the man that was coaching Carson Wentz to an MVP type of season before the injury and then coached up Nick Foles as they won the Super Bowl and at first with the colts it went pretty well 10 and 6 lost in the divisional round then went 7 and 9 missed the playoffs but then did a bounce back here in 2020 11 and 5 lost in the wild card round to the bills but then 9 and 8 and then, of course, fired this year after starting off the season three, five, and one. And the decision by Jim Irsay to fire Frank Reich and hire Jeff Saturday as interim coach went really well because Jeff Saturday went one and seven. Ooh. So, so maybe the troubles in the Indy aren't all on Frank Reich. <laughs> just, just saying. But now he's in Carolina, so that's one of the few vacancies off the table. But while all this is going on, reports coming out that even though he may have quote-unquote canceled second interviews, he still had one more interview to do, a first interview, and that was with the Arizona Cardinals. And apparently it went extremely well. And multiple reports are coming out that Not only did the interview go well, it was extended for the entirety of the day. So is this where Sean Payton's going to go? Arizona, I've always said, makes sense. You have a young quarterback who's not going to be ready for the season. So that gives Sean Payton time to maybe bring in a veteran guy. And then you can slowly bring Kyler Murray uh, Murray around, and you see what you got. We know the ownership is committed to Kyler. They chose Kyler over Cliff Kingsbury, who, let's be honest, had no business being a head coach in the NFL. If you can't win at Texas Tech in the Big 12, really? How are you getting an NFL job? Yet it happened. It was that brief era in the NFL where all teams were hiring good-looking 30-something coaches that somehow knew Sean McVay.
4: Also couldn't win with Patrick Mahomes yeah. in the Big 12. Yes, could
3: win with Patrick Mahomes. Wasted Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I was like, "Oh, man, Kingsbury. God bless him." So, Arizona's intriguing for Sean the NFC West, with the exception of the Niners, feels kind of wide open, right? You saw what Seattle was able to do with just Geno Smith, a quick turnaround for them. The Rams literally won the Super Bowl a year ago, but they're going to be in a rebuilding mode. So a- Arizona got a young quarterback. Yeah, got a high draft pick. A- and people are so focused. Oh, well, is Arizona going to give up their top five pick for Sean Payton? They don't need to. I- I've said this over and over again. Everyone's so focused on that first round pick distinction. If Arizona turns around to the New Orleans Saints and goes, hey, we have a high second-round pick, it's yours, and you can have our second-round pick in 2024. Well, you get two seconds, which are essentially a, a late first anyway. You'll take that all day long. Something can be figured out there for the Saints in compensation. But I don't know. Like, did Sean do all of this just to keep his name out there? like Dan Quinn did, yet a second straight year as defensive coordinator of the Dallas Cowboys, who, by the way, yesterday announced, you know, I I love Dallas. I'm committed to coming back to Dallas. He did it last year as well, too. Interviewed for a handful of jobs, then decided, I'm just going to stay as the defensive coordinator of the Cowboys. Then he interviewed again this time around, this cycle, and then has decided, I'm just going to stay with the Dallas Cowboys. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Is that what Sean Payne's doing here? Is he just keeping his name out there? Is he wasting everyone's time by interviewing for jobs he really doesn't want? Because it kind of feels like that a little bit, doesn't it? kind of feels like old Sean is just enjoying being on the wine and dine tour. Seemingly wasting everyone's time. Including the Saints. Now, if he doesn't take a job this cycle, they still have him under contract. They could still get some compensation for him after the 2023 season if they decide to trade his rights to another team, but it won't be as much. So not only did Sean screw over the team by deciding to retire because yeah, he just had to step away from football, that he won't come back to the Saints and then he won't go take another job to help out the team that signed him to that big contract that he decided to quit on. Okay. Yay. Yay. You guys are feeling better and better about old Sean, aren't you? Or as our friend Kevin Foote says, Casper the quitter. Poll question of the day. It's already up. It's conference championship weekend. We want to know what will be the Super Bowl 57 matchup in Glendale, Arizona. Will it be Chiefs versus Eagles? Will it be Bengals versus Eagles? Will it be Chiefs versus 49ers? Or will it be Bengals versus 49ers? Go vote on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. Coming up next right here on RP3 and Company, all the Houston Astros finally have their man to run the front office. We'll talk about it next.
1: This is RP Three and Company on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You know how some fellas don't care how they look. I mean, a few of you are rocking sweatpants that haven't been washed in days. Ew. Not to worry, my dear unkempt friend. RP3 and company is a judgment-free zone. Hell, sometimes these guys don't even wear pants. I would
5: like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. Excuse me? The party. The pants with the pants. Party with pants?
1: Now back to the hopefully fully clothed RP3. On the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
6: background on some of our observations of Dana Um, he came from the Atlanta Braves and uh, was instrumental in a lot of their player acquisitions and multiple transactions Um, you know we went through a pretty vigorous uh, interview process Uh, some of the things we found out about Dana he was very analytic savvy Uh, he's a great talent evaluator based upon what we've seen at the Braves Uh, seasoned at player acquisitions seasons at player development uh, and retention. They were always able to extend some of their player contracts. Um, he was a college player. Uh, he played three years in the minor leagues for the Phillies. Uh, he was well regarded by Craig Bisio who he played with at Seton Hall. Uh, Craig had a lot of great things to say about him. Um, he's got great people skills, uh, excellent communicator, and um, last but not least he's a baseball player and knows baseball in and out. And um, we were very impressed with that. And also, uh, Dusty's had a lot of great things to say about him, has met Dana previously, and we think he'll be a good fit with Dusty. So um, with that, um, uh, we're very happy to have him here today. Um, I I think he's going to do a great job for us, and uh, we're all here to support him and uh, keep the Astros on the winning ways.
3: That, of course is the man who owns those Houston Astros. And with pitchers and catchers reporting in just a few weeks, Jim Crane finally decided to hire himself a general manager. James Click obviously was a parted ways shortly after winning a World Series. Now, they got a man that seemingly kind of fits what Jim Crane wants to do. He likes having analytical guys. And Dana Brown, he gets a baseball player turned analytical guy. So you get the best of both worlds, right? That's why there was always some friction between Dusty Baker and James Click because Dusty's a lifelong baseball guy. James Click was an analytical guy. Sometimes they they had trouble communicating. They they had trouble sharing the same vision, if you will. This is not going to be an issue here. Dana is a former player, college, minor league player, who then shifted over into scouting and then shifted over into the analytical side of things. So he's going to be able to relate a little bit better to Dusty Baker, I believe. And he's going to be able to utilize both sides of what you have to do now in baseball. You have to be an analytical guy and really kind of trust your gut about just baseball. Now... Longtime scouting executive for the Braves. He served in that role from 2019 to 2023, helping the Braves win the World Series championship a few years ago. Guys that he has been credited for drafting, scouting and drafting, Michael Harris, Spencer Strider, Vaughn Grissom, Ian Desmond, Steven Strasburg, Ryan Zimmerman. And that goes back to his time even before the Braves, When he served as director of scouting for the Washington Nationals and Expos from 2002 to 2009. In between his ability to be able to scout great talent, by the way, in both instances, not only did he scout and help them draft guys that were stars, they also became foundation pieces for not one but two World Series teams. Ironically, two teams that defeated the Houston Astros in the World Series. In between there, he was with the Toronto Blue Jays, a special assistant to the general manager. He kept that job for almost a decade. So, understands what goes on as a general manager because he was the right-hand man, for one, for nearly a decade. Did scouting for two other teams. He's a former ball player. He played back in the day at Seton Hall with Craig Biggio, also Mo Vaughn was on those Seton Hall teams back in the day for any of your old school baseball people. And now they get someone who I believe is going to be more in line with what Dusty wants and what Jim Crane wants. Because remember, Jim Crane wants to win back-to-back. He brought Dusty back to run it back. They essentially brought everyone back. They tried to bring back Verlander. Verlander got paid an enormous amount of money to go play for the Mets. That always works out when you get get paid a lot of money to go play for the Mets. And yes, that's Mets shade because I'm a Braves fan and I'm allowed to do it. But they were able to keep some of their guys. They were able to have Michael Brantley come back. They have a great pitching staff, even with the loss of Verlander. And here's the other thing, and you heard Jim Crane mention it. Their mentality and how they approach their own players – is very similar. The Braves do a slightly better job at this. The last couple of years, Atlanta has not only developed young talent, they've somehow convinced young talent to take team-friendly long-term deals. Astros have done the same thing. They're very similar in that regard. Look, Jordan Alvarez should be getting far more money than he is. Alex Bregman Altuve should be getting more money than they're getting they give somewhat of a hometown discount to be able to keep as much of the talent pool together. The Braves do this. The Astros do this. It seems like it's going to be a very kind of good match, so to speak, that they're on the same page with a lot of it. And Dana Brown talked to the media as well yesterday, and he spoke about... The lessons that he's learned over the years from the other jobs with other teams.
2: Yeah. So the biggest thing I would say when, you, when you're working for an organization uh, and they don't have a lot of money, you, you you cannot afford to miss on the draft picks, and so that's you, you burn that into your brain. that You got to get this pick right. You got to get this pick right. You got to study the makeup. You got to you got to know the players uh, better than anyone else. And when you when you come from that type of an organization and you know that you don't have a lot of money and you work on really working hard to get the draft picks right at the top, maximize the draft by getting some picks lower that can add to a major league team and now if you come in an environment where you have money and you sign good players and then you extend major league players, now you choke the system with players and you got a chance to have a long run. And so that's what the plan is
3: the mentality the mindset is going to vibe really well with both dusty and jim and dana was asked straight up hey what are your priorities as the general manager of the defending world series champion houston astros
2: well the first thing i want to do is uh chat with dusty uh you know get with him and uh, talk a little bit and uh, we'll talk about some of the game plans and uh you know what we have coming forward Uh, But I'm more excited to to just get there and get acclimated, uh, you know, down in the area. And, um, you know, let's try to work this thing out. Very excited about it.
3: And Dana also said, look, he's had immense amount of success. He's helped teams win a World Series championship. His resume speaks for itself. But he wants in his role as the general manager of the Houston Astros. He is very blunt. He wants to be greedy.
2: I realize that, um, you know, I'm, I'm coming to a winning team. And a big part of what I want to do, too, is sustain the winning uh, long term. So we want to continue to build, continue to assign good players, continue to develop good players, and continue to winning success. Uh, we have this thing in scouting where we want we, we want to get greedy about winning. And that's what uh, it's all about.
3: That's what you want to hear from your GM. Want to be greedy. Want to get more players, want to get more great players, want to win more titles. So the Astros finally have their man, former Atlanta Braves, director of scouting, Dana Brown, a teammate of Craig Biggio's back in college. I'm not going to tell you when that was because it's going to date years truly and many of you listening. Got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we're going to switch to the hardwood. Good night for the Raging Cajuns ended up being a historic night for Bob Marlin. We'll recap it for you all coming up next right here on The Game.
1: This is RP3 and company on The Game. 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is known for being a well-tempered and thoughtful sports journalist. The incompetence, the absolute
3: abundance of arrogance from Rob Manford makes me want to punch him in his throat.
1: Okay, well, we all have our bad days. I'm not kidding. If he was right here in the
3: studio, I would walk up to him and throw him a punch.
1: Well... Let's all hope he took his meds today. Back to hopefully a calm and collected RP3. On the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station.
3: Raging Cajun's men's basketball team puts up another dub. And in last night's game, great environment, nice crowd for a Thursday night game. Some uh, Raging Cajun greats were on hand courtside. Brad Boyd, former football star and current draft prospect Zion Hill Green was in the house. Matt Miguez was in the house. Dawson was in the house. But who wasn't is significant. Jordan Brown. Preseason player of the year, the team's leading scorer, the team's second leading rebounder. Sick, out with the illness. We find out thirty-five minutes before tip. It didn't matter. It did the Cajuns went out there without their leading scorer and the second-leading rebounder and the preseason player of the year. Right? And goes out there and trucks a 13-win Troy team who is nipping at their heels in the standings by 15 points. And that was with Troy playing far better in the second half. The Cajuns led wire to wire. This game was done. They didn't get to double-digit points until, like, the 10-minute mark. (laughs) What? They came out. Kobe Julian got 11 points, a season high for him. Remember, he didn't start playing because he was coming off the injury. He didn't start playing until they opened up conference play, and he's been limited. But they got a spark from him, which was nice. Terrence Lewis, the second, double-double, 14, uh, 11 14-11, and I'm sorry, for Terrence Lewis. Kobe Julian drops in 11. They get 21 points from Greg Williams Jr., who's just elevated his game to a a different level. This was a 41-17 game at the break. 41-17. Now, the Cajuns got a little sloppy with it in the second half. Bob Marlin even admitted as much afterwards. But this was a dominant performance by a team without their best player. And this goes to show you the quality of depth the Raging Cajuns have right now. It shows you the team chemistry that this team has. And this team is starting to kind of feel itself, if that makes any sense. Like they understand that they're the best team in the conference. It's always tricky. So begin conference play over the holiday break, especially if you're on the road, because everything is so disjointed because the kids aren't around and some of them have to leave for the holidays and there's no classes. So your typical routine, which young players desperately need, they need as much structure as possible, is gone. And they started off on the road losing to, let's be honest, a mediocre Coastal Carolina team and a mediocre Old Dominion team. But they've figured it out. And when you don't have Jordan Brown out there and you roll up a convincing, easy, dominant win against a quality opponent, a team they faced off in the conference tournament semifinals a year ago, it's impressive. The win last night for the Cajuns advances them to 17-4 and overall on the season. 7-2 in Sunbelt Conference play. It was also the 300th win overall in Sunbelt Conference play. And it's head coach Bob Marlin earning his 238th career victory as the Raging Cajuns head coach. That ties him now with J.C. Dutch Reinhardt for second place on the school's all-time list. Once again, no Jordan Brown, Lewis, the double-double. Demas Folks had 12 points as well and seven assists. He had a rough start of it. Shot was really falling. Has that little shot put type of shot that he likes to throw sometimes off balance. When he sets, he could drain it. When he gets off kilter, it doesn't go in. But a total team effort against a quality opponent. And for Kobe Julian, after... So many setbacks for his career. It started back in high school. That's that's really the reason why Bob Marlin was able to get Kobe. Because he was injured in high school. And some offers dried up because of that. And he's never been able to be healthy. And he misses all of non-conference play. And he just kept working. Kept working. Kept working. He's got the brace on the knee. And he goes out there and he was 4-for-4 from three-point range. Now... They said it was 4-for-4 four four from three-point range at halftime. Then they changed it in the book in the second half. So, <laughs> it's like, really? We made the joke in the post-game press conference. That's kind of a trick. You had 12 points at half, and then you end up with 11. How's that work? But Kobe was on fire. He was great. And he talked about just what it meant to him to have the type of performance he had last night. He was you know, pretty much speechless.
2: Uh, it felt great, honestly, uh, just thinking about everything that I've been through and just my teammates pushing me, really. So, I just just – I'm speechless, honestly, because it's just a lot that I've been having to go through and just been waiting to just do. And it's been very hard, honestly, just leave me speechless.
3: And, look, Marlon's been telling us about Kobe and about how much he's been working, Right. It's a season-high 11 points for the young man. And they have Kobe Julian in a reserve role. This is how talented this team is. Is that a guy in years past who they needed to be a starter for them and to be a big contributor for them, they don't need Kobe to do that. They don't have to pressure Kobe Julian to be a guy that has to go out there and give him 13, 14 points a night. He can just come off the bench and give him whatever he can they're that deep think about that for a second about this Raging Cajun team is that they have enough enough quality depth that Kobe Julian can be a role player you couldn't have say that two years ago you couldn't even say that really last season but here we are here we are and Marlon talked about just the work and the effort and how proud he is of Kobe Julian
0: yeah he was fantastic uh, Kevin and BJ and I talked today, and he said you need to keep Kobe's confidence up. And I told him yesterday I'm, I'm going to play at the four some tomorrow uh, if Jordan can't go, and you, you'll be able to get out, stay out on the floor longer. And he shot that first when Coach Z was sitting next to me, and he goes, "Please get in there," and he made it. And then he got his confidence, and he made a bomb the last one from from the logo.
3: He played so well. They all play. So well. Hey, Marlon talks about this, and sometimes, you know, we get exhausted by coach speak when we hear a coach talk about, well, we got really good team chemistry. It's not a lie. Not this year's team. We've seen talented teams before with Bob, under Bob. They didn't have great chemistry, right? We won't have to go through the list of teams. You know who they are. This team really likes playing with each other. And when you're a veteran coach and you can bring in your subs and there's no difference, right? The level of intensity is the same. The level of execution is the same. That is an immense advantage, I'm not saying that the Cajuns can't be beat. We've seen them get beaten in Sunbelt Conference play already. I'm not saying that they're going to win the conference tournament and punch their ticket to the NCAAs. But they sure do feel like they're the most complete team in the conference. And they're the deepest team. That matters. Because... When one guy's out, they have other guys seemingly night after night that are willing to step up and have no problems. There's a lot of unselfishness with this team. If one guy's got the hot hand, you keep feeding him the ball. They don't have divas on this team. They've had divas before on this team with this program that have disrupted things. They got a bunch of unselfish, hard workers on the team. That's a coach's dream absolutely a coach's dream and look last night they set the tone right off the bat and they were facing a team by the way that had the second best three-point defense in the conference and the Cajuns just light them up from beyond the arc and Marlon talked about just how well his team was able to shoot the three-pointer what
0: yeah was, six that six advantage? of eight well when 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 the coach gives away a hundred dollars for three-point shot they you know they, they, they go at it. No, we shot it great in the first half, and Kentrell missed one. Uh, I thought he had and, uh, and in, and and then the second half we missed a couple early, but uh, uh, Greg had a nice one, good step back, and and uh, proud of the guys, proud of the way our guys shot the three point shot.
3: They shot it well, they played well, and looks like they they're, they're going to see they're gonna, they'll find out today. But it looks promising to have Jordan Brown back for Saturday's game against Georgia Southern. So they just keep rolling up the wins. They're seventh in a row, seven and two now in Sunbelt Conference play, 17 and four overall. And with ULM stunning Marshall in double overtime last night, that logjam atop the Sunbelt standings is no longer there. And that's a huge game, too. By the way, a week from Saturday will be Marshall. It's the fabulous Cajun Chicken Night as well. we got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up. We'll update that poll question of the day and give you some news about the New Orleans Pelicans. That's all next.
1: This is RP3 and company on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is the epitome of a high roller, constantly making large bets.
3: But by doing that, the minimum bet is a dollar for a win, a dollar for a place, a dollar for a show. So it's essentially a $3 bet. That netted me a cool
1: $6.70. What? Okay, so he's not a risk taker. He's your best bet for sports stock. 19. Hit me. 20. Hit me. 21. Hit me. 22. do oh! Now, back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
3: Zion Williamson. He's been voted as an all-star starter, despite being on injured reserve, despite not possibly even being ready to play in the game, but the big fella has been voted as an all-star starter. LeBron James and Giannis were named the captains of the two teams that will take part in the 2023 NBA All-Star Game, which will be held next month in Salt Lake City, Utah. James now ties Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who he's about to pass as the NBA's all-time scoring leader for most All-Star Game appearances with 19. James has now been a captain of each of the six years the NBA. He's used the format of two captains, drafting their individual teams. The Los Angeles Lakers star is averaging 29.9, 8.5 rebounds and seven assists per game. By the way, he's 38. It's just ridiculous how good he is. Just ridiculous how good LeBron is Giannis will be the captain for the third time he's averaging 31 12 and 5.3 joining James among starters for the NBA all-star game selected from the Western Conference are Zion Williamson Denver Nuggets center Nicole Jokic Golden State Warriors guard Stephen Curry and Dallas Mavericks guard Luka Doncic the other east starters alongside Giannis are Brooklyn Nets forward Kevin Durant also injured and his teammate Kyrie Irving, Boston Celtics forward Jason Tatum, first-time starter for him. He's really kind of elevated himself to being the conversation as a top-five player in the league right now. And Cleveland Cavaliers guard Donovan Mitchell. The starters were selected by a weighted voting process that is derived from a fan vote being weighted at 50% of the final outcome, and a player and media votes each counting for 25%. Philadelphia 76ers center and MVP candidate, Joel Embiid missed the cut after ranking third amongst East front court players in the player in media rankings, but fourth in fan voting. Philly did not come out for their guy. Lakers forward Anthony Davis placed third among West front court players in fan voting, but seventh and sixth in the player in media rankings, respectively. So, you know, I know Zion's missed time, but the guy that they would have selected instead of Zion is missed just as much time in Anthony Davis, so. Really, you're going to be putting in an injured big man. It's just, that's how that's kind of looking like it's going to work. Obviously, those are are your starters. Meanwhile, other players will be added. We know how this works. And the seven reserves from each conference, which are voted on by the coaches in each conference, will be announced on Thursday. So we'll see if maybe C.J. McCollum, Can sneak in there and some others and they're not going to do the draft of the teams until the day of the game which is a new quirk that they're doing this year which could be fun I like the whole drafting thing and I like the fact that they're going to do it the day of it's kind of like you kind of like you're on the court at the park hey you're on my team and then there's always the one guy that's going to be last It's kind of fun that you're going to be doing that with NBA stars. Just saying. It's kind of interesting. Keep voting on the poll question of the day. What do you think the Super Bowl 57 matchup is going to be? Remember, conference championships are this Sunday. What combination is going to be? Keep voting. We'll get to your comments next hour here on RP3 and
7: Company. Oh, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right
2: this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette,
1: here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3.
3: The Houston Astros have their man as they get former Atlanta Braves scout, Washington National scout, and a guy who was essentially the right-hand man for the Toronto Blue Jays for a decade, Dana Brown, to be the new general manager. lot of similarities with what he has experienced with the NIA Braves is going to be what they like to do with the Houston Astros. So I think it's a really good fit. It makes a lot of sense. This is a guy who's also a former ball player, played college ball, played in the minors, but he's also an analytical guy. So it checks a lot of the boxes if you're the Houston Astros. And this is a guy who, by the way, (laughs) helped scout and draft Players that became foundation pieces for not one, but two World Series teams. Ironically, two teams that beat the Houston Astros in the World Series. The Washington Nationals and the Atlanta Braves. And now they have their man that's going to help run things. And I think this is going to be a far better fit than maybe James Click, who didn't necessarily always see eye-to-eye with Jim Crane and definitely didn't see eye-to-eye with Dusty Baker. To break down the Dana Brown hiring, what he makes of it, also Baseball Hall of Fame, Billy Wagner seemingly getting closer to getting inducted into Cooperstown, is the co-host of the Lehman Time Time podcast, and our most trusted guy for all things Houston Astros, James Yasko joins us now. James, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend?
8: Hey, I'm doing all right. How are you doing?
3: I'm doing outstanding. So, give me your reaction, about Dana Brown being hired as the new general manager for the Houston Astros?
8: I mean, it, it says an awful lot about about Dana Brown that there's not a single person who is kind of scratching their head. Like, this is sort of a universally approved hire, uh, which which does not really happen in in any landscape, but especially in, in baseball. So, uh, good, solid move. Hopefully this lets Bagwell go back to being a, a figurehead and not a key decision maker uh, for Jim Crane.
3: Oh, it does seem like they've hired someone just right off the bat. And I'm familiar with Dana a little bit because of being a Braves fan. But here's a guy who's kind of the best of both worlds. Former player, played in the minors, an analytical guy as well. It seems like maybe he's going to be able to communicate and be on the same page with Dusty Baker more so than James Click was because it always seemed like James and Dusty were never on the same page.
8: Yeah, no, that's exactly that's exactly right. So, uh, good job by Jim Crane. Um, you know, I mean, like five years ago, I don't know that anyone could ever have imagined that that we'd be on that Astros fans would be on their third GM uh, and second manager. You know, with with the departure of of Luno and Hinch, uh, but but Crane's done a pretty good job of of kind of steadying the ship and keeping everything afloat.
3: His background as a scout and the type of players that he scouted and helped successively draft, whether that was with the Nationals, with, you know, Steven Strasburg, or with the Braves and the, the the flurry of guys that he was able to scout and draft there, how much does that line up with what the Astros want to keep doing moving forward?
8: Yeah, no, I mean, the, the Astros didn't have a first-round pick for, for two years. Uh, and those are the kinds of things that that take a little time to trickle into your system and and kind of make you realize like oh you know no those are kind of a big deal uh, and so to have someone with with a proven track record in the draft um, the front office has done a really good job at identifying and, de- and identifying talent and the organization has done a good job of developing it so if you have a guy like Dana Brown that that knows what he's doing and and just kind of keeps the the train moving. Then, then I don't know how you can argue with with any of that.
3: Why do you think it took Jim Crane so long to find the right guy to be his new general manager?
8: There's a part of me that really thinks that he thought he could do this himself. Really, and and yeah, I, I think the Jerry Jones option was definitely on the table for for Crane, uh, and it just took. It took almost an entire offseason for Crane to realize, oh, no, that's a lot of decisions. Uh, and he likes to play golf. And so let's let's get someone in that, that can make some of these decisions for me.
3: What do you think is going to be different with Dana Brown at the helm? Usually we don't see a guy put his stamp on things until he's settled in for a little while. And I know that's going to be the case here, especially with pitchers and catchers reporting in just a few weeks for spring training. But – Do you do you expect to see maybe anything a little different than what we've seen over the last couple years?
8: I I don't think so. Um, You know, I I think that if you're if you're going to be the GM of the Astros, you know what's happened over the last few years, and you know, um, you know what you have with your with your major league roster. Um, You know, there may be some tweaks to to some some personnel, but you know, I I think the Astros are. They're an organization that that you just you just keep the trade moving, and not that that means it's easy, but I don't know that we'll see anything anything fundamentally different about how the Astros do things on a day to day basis.
3: So you don't find that there's you think this is going to be a very smooth transition, is what you're saying?
8: I, I would think so. I mean. You know, if he does have a background in scouting and the Astros over the last few years have kind of gotten away from, uh, I think click, click started to change this a little bit, but but Luno was drastically reducing the the number of scouts that were out on the road. Um, again, click, click kind of made the move in the opposite direction. Uh, and I, I would imagine that Dana Brown with his background will do the same thing. but no, nah, I think it's going to be pretty smooth.
3: We're talking with James Yasko. He's always smooth when it comes to the Lima Time Time podcast. Also,
8: now watch now watch all hell break loose now that I've said that and <laughs> blood in the streets of Houston. Uh,
3: Dana's now in charge. They you know they they made some very sound moves with their roster this offseason. They didn't overpay for Justin Verlander. They you know were able to retain Michael Brantley Jr. They brought in Abreu. They were able to maintain their World Series winning bullpen. But Yuli Guriel's still out there, and there's some scuttlebutt that the Astros may try to bring him back since no one has scooped him up. What do you think the likelihood is of them bringing Yuli back as a platoon guy?
8: I think if if he is open to that, then the Astros would be open to that. Um, You know, now will Dana Brown view it the same way? You know, I don't know. I think I think Crane would. You know, if, if Crane was calling the shots, you know, they might they might have already pulled the trigger. Um, but I think if Yuli if realizes that, that his, his, the part that he will play on a major league roster going forward is platoon, um, then he'll reside with the Astros. If someone's going to give him an everyday job and a crap ton of money to do that, then, then I could see him going to a Minnesota or a Miami, uh, some of those other teams that have, that have shown some interest. But you know, if, if his options are you know, platoon, kind of part-time, play all over the place, uh, I, I see Guriel staying in Houston where he's comfortable why do you
3: th- why do you think no one else came in and
8: scooped him up his his regular season was pretty rough last year uh and you know he's what 3738 um you know I just think that the time is undefeated and and you know you're not willing to give a, a, a three or four year deal to a, a guy in his late 30s who's hitting 240.
3: I mean that's that's a better average than you and I have though, right?
8: Uh, you one hundred percent, yes. I love those, <laughs> the guys that are like, man, if you, if if I let Garrett Cole throw a hundred baseballs at me, I, I'd hit one of them. No, you freaking wouldn't. Like, <laughs> shut up. No, you, no, you. You're toxically masculine. Sit down and read a book, please. Sit down and
3: read a book, please. Uh, all right, James, let's shift gears a little bit. Billy Wagner did not get into this year's class for the Baseball Hall of Fame, but he did take a significant jump. Are you confident that the former Astros closer will eventually get into Cooperstown?
8: Yes, I, I am. Um, you know, w- with that kind of jump, you know, that's that's the kind of jump that, that ultimately – eventually gets you across the finish line. So, yes, I, I think eventually Wagner will be a deserving Hall of Famer.
3: So that's going to happen, but Scott <laughs> Rowland goes in this year. And, and this is not bashing on Scott Rowland because he was an absolute elite defensive third baseman. And some would argue maybe the best defensive third baseman in baseball history. So it's not a knock on Scott. But it's another year of the Baseball Writers Association putting in guys that were never considered to be the best of the best. Like, we're we're going on multiple years here of Scott Rollins, Fred McGriff's, Harold Baines, you know, Larry Walker. A lot of guys that were very good players but never considered the best players at their position, never considered the best top five, top ten players of their eras that are getting to the Hall of Fame, yet guys that were linked to the steroids that were far better players are not getting in. I, I, I understand if you want to punish the guys who use steroids, even though I, I everyone cheats in, in baseball and that's part of the game, it doesn't bother me, but I understand if you want to be morality police, but does that mean that we have to water it down by putting in guys that, let's be honest, probably shouldn't be in the Hall?
8: See, here's the thing, though. I think that Roland deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, how much of the recent run of Hall of Famers um, and and sort of the questions that go around it are due to regional sports networks. Where you, Back in the day, which is before... Which is after yesteryear. Uh, yes, to,
3: after, to after, after yesteryear. Very good.
8: The, the day is after yesteryear. Um, <laughs> how much? Like how much of that is like we didn't watch Scott Rowland every day? You know, the, the, we didn't watch Harold Baines every day uh, because they didn't play on our team, and so I think it's it's sort of indicative of, of a larger societal problem that. W- we're unwilling to see that that Scott Rowland is one of the best players in baseball history. We just didn't watch it every day. So therefore we dismiss, dismiss the fact that, that he has the numbers and was one of is. I'd put him up there with Brooks Robinson.
3: You and I are going to argue though, because there's other guys that are more deserving that a generation ago didn't get in that aren't getting in. But yet now we get now we put in guys like Larry Walker and Scott Rowland. My point is, if it wasn't for the ban of the steroid guys, these guys wouldn't be getting in. I mean, Rowland was on the ballot for the seventh year.
8: No, that's no. We we actually agree. Although I will say that. So we could go the Skip Bayless, Shin and Sharp route, and, and both make boatloads of money just arguing. Oh, over just,
3: just 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 fake argument.
8: <laughs> absolutely nothing. No, but uh, I, that's no, my I,
3: point. I mean, we we you and I have had this discussion off the air. Don Madenley, Dale Murphy, even Dale Parker. There, there's a lot of guys. Dave Parker, rather. There's a lot of guys that were always considered to be very good, but weren't good enough for the Hall. Now, a generation later those same caliber of players or even guys that are not even as good as those guys are getting into the hall. Why? Uh,
8: Because you're leaving it up to the baseball writers and half of the baseball writers that vote don't cover baseball, haven't covered baseball and actively don't watch baseball. So it's not a, the hall of fame's problem is the, the amount of control and they like this. And I, I, I know this for a fact that they sort of like the cover that the baseball writers give them, you know, the official hall of fame line is we induct, we do not elect. So the hall of fame as an institution can avoid sort of the uncomfortable questions of like, why isn't Clemens in? Why isn't bonds in? That's stupid. They are two of the greatest baseball players of all time and they don't have a plaque. So it's, it's the, it's the, it's who votes. It's not who they're voting for.
3: And that gets a good old-fashioned woof from me, my friend. Woof. Yeah. You yeah.
8: got yeah, guys that that cover Olympic swimming that are voting on something that baseball fans care about. Now imagine the the outrage that if in the Olympic swimming Hall of Fame was was made up of a bunch of baseball riders. they were like, "They ain't swam against nobody."
3: <laughs> uh james thank you for your time as always brother appreciate your time uh and it sounds like you you guys are gearing up for a great nascar race outside your house this morning so uh good luck with that this weekend
8: i i have a meeting there's no school today but i have a meeting that's three miles away and an uber is like 40 dollars. i'm like i'm not paying 40 i'm gonna walk the three miles like i'm just i'm I'm not i'm not paying 40 dollars have a great weekend brother (laughs) if i ever get to this freaking school thank you have a good weekend
1: this is rp3 and company on the game 1037 lafayette and 1041 lake charles southwest louisiana's sports station your home for the lsu tigers and houston astros
3: Whole question of the day, what will be the Super Bowl 57 matchup? Once again, conference championships are Sunday. Bengals, Chiefs, yet again. Burrow, Chase, head to Kansas City to Arrowhead Stadium to take on Patrick Mahomes in his high ankle sprain. NFC, San Francisco 49ers with Mr. Irrelevant Brock Purdy. Under center, well, former Raging Cajun star Elijah Mitchell in the backfield as well with Christian McCaffrey. They're going to try to go into Philly to take down the Eagles. Will it be the top seeds that will advance? Will it be the 49ers? Will we get a Bengals 49ers Super Bowl? Can Cincinnati roll over Mahomes and the Chiefs with Burrow and Chase for a fourth straight time? What's it going to be? Right now, 44% of you say you believe it's going to be Bengals versus Eagles. 42% 42% of you say Bengals versus 49ers. We've seen that Super Bowl a few times before. 14% of you say Chiefs versus Eagles. And no votes yet for Chiefs versus 49ers. Everyone's on the Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase chain. Chain, train, chain, chain, train. Is, is, did I just create something new, Dawson? A chain, train, a train, train? chain, 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 chain? I don't know. What do you think? Unsure. All right. We'll get back to that. Let's get to some comments. Darren, the number one Raging Cajun fan of RP3 and company, says Eagles versus Chiefs. Eagles have the strongest team left, and Chiefs have the most experience. I know Burrow has the Chiefs number, but y'all trust in Eli Apple? I mean, he did kind of shut down Stephon Diggs. Just saying. He's played well of late. Ralph Bergeron on Twitter says, Bengals Burrow their way to the dub, sending Patrick Mahomes. You see what he did there? He said Mahomes, like he's sending him home. I see what you did there. Eagles hurts the 49ers, though it won't be purdy. <laughs> Ralph, if you're listening, take a bow. By all means. it took some effort. Good for you. JPK, the OD, as much as it makes me want to throw up on my mouth a little, it looks like Philly is going to get in. And Ton on Twitter says, I've seen a lot of Eagles fans making the same mistake as a lot of Cowboys fans, more worried about Bengals Chiefs than the 49ers. Bengals, Niners, Super Bowl. Bengals win 31-27. Ton went next level, even gave the score prediction. Love it. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Keep those comments coming as well. You can leave them on Facebook and on Twitter. Got an update, right? There's still some guys that are injured that aren't practicing. Cincinnati Bengals offensive linemen, still not quite there. That's a little concerning, as we've talked about, when it comes to the injuries. Mahomes has been practicing, but he did suffer a high ankle sprain, so how much is he really going to be able to do? And his mobility is what makes him special, that – being able to improvise on the fly. Hey, the pocket's collapsing. Let me roll out and throw sidearm while falling to the ground to uh, Travis Kelsey, who apparently I've been saying his name wrong this whole time. We found this out on uh, via Hannah Five Names. Uh, it, it, you do know that not only did he never correct anyone, he and his brother, from saying their name the wrong way because it's not Kelsey like we've always said it, he had a reality dating show that had the mispronounced name in the title, and he didn't correct anyone then. Don't you think that would have been the time?
4: You don't think they're trolling us here? You don't think they're having a little fun, him and his brother? I think it's one of those, yeah, they everyone screwed up my whole life, so I just went with it eventually. But, like, yeah, if you want the actual pronunciation, it's Kels. But, I mean, I'm going to call him Kelsey. I'm not going to change. But it's like C E. It's weird. There's silent letters in the English language sometimes. I I
3: got a funny name, and so do you. I understand people mispronounce the name all the time. can't tell you how many teachers mispronounce my name through school. And I'm sure you had similar situations growing up. So I get it. But wouldn't wouldn't it have been the time when you had your own reality show that you would have changed it then
4: and even had fun with it? Right? Wouldn't that have been the time to do it? Probably so. Yeah, but no, I understand the name thing. My sister at graduation, shout out to her. She uh
3: Shout out to Dawson's it sister! Was, it
4: was rough. The uh, the pronunciation of Iserlo was was not close. <laughs> How did they do it? It was something around Isero or Isero. <laughs> they skipped the L completely. I mean it was it wasn't <laughs> close. And she was upset.
3: I had a teacher growing up. Man. I had two teachers. At different times in my life, one said partska. Now there's no Ka at the end of Parch. There's no possibility. She she just added a little flair to it, decided to make it sound more Polish. Okay, let's get after it. It's German in, in, in origin. Okay, my family's from Germany. So, but sure. And then had another teacher go. Uh, Mr. Partridge, do I look like I'm part of a 70s television made-up band to you? Like, what? (laughs) It just always amazes me. Like, what?
4: Could have been in a pear tree as well, huh?
3: (laughs) You're just adding names. You're just adding letters to my name. Why? I've spelled it properly for you. Why? Yeah, see... So shout out to your sister for having to deal with graduation and the name getting butchered. Whoa, that's 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 tough. That's tough. That's a tough beat. It just is. So, we know Travis will be ready to go. Mahomes will play. How much of his mobility is going to be restricted is going to be huge in this game. The health of the Bengals' offensive line. A lot of guys are being held out. And on the flip side of that, for the NFC McCaffrey and Elijah Mitchell have been limited or have not practiced at all this week. Now, we know they'll go because they're both gamers. But how much of San Francisco's running game not being 100%, how much is that going to impact the NFC Championship game? So lots to process, lots to discuss. When we come back here in RP3 and company, Dawson and yours truly, we will give our picks for the championship games, that's coming up next right here on the game.
1: This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Want to join in the discussion with RP3? Then just give us a call on the hotline. You know the number. 24.
4: Niner by six, seven, I
1: can't hear you. You're
6: trailing off. And did I catch a Niner in there?
4: Were you calling from a walkie-talkie? No need to be
1: embarrassed. Just call us at 337-706-0111. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station.
3: Game hotline, 337 706 Game hotline, 337 706 Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on Brent to the show. Brent, good morning to you, brother. Thank you for patiently waiting. What's on your mind, my friend?
5: I called to say, uh, uh, I never met you
2: in person, but you seem to be a nice guy. W- why you can't keep producers? They keep leaving.
3: <laughs> They're like drummers in Spinal Tap. I just go through them. pretty. I- apparently, I'm a tough person to work for. You'll have to let Hannah. I have to ask Hannah five names. Why she's decided to to leave us? I mean, I, I signed off on her internship. I got her a part time job here, made her full time, and now, you know, after just a year and some change, she's off and leaving yet again. Another producer leaving, Brent. Another one.
5: And um, uh, yesterday I was talking about uh, Aaron Rodgers. And they keep some people saying that he's going to retire. There's no way he's going to retire. He's got $64 million still coming to him. He's not going to retire. That's one of the things you can take off the list.
3: There it is, brother. There it is. All right, Hannah, why, why, why are you leaving?
9: I'm not going anywhere. I'm going down the hall. <laughs> Same building. Different title. I will still be in the mix of making all the ideas as I will be. I think I cannot say it now. I will be their social media coordinator for all of Delta Media Corporation. There it is. So, I'm right, going far. good day. Thanks.
3: Thank you, brother. Yeah, you know, so I, I, I thought about this and poor Dawson. So, my first producer was Cody Schutz. Shout out to Cody. My man was commuting every day from Point Capi to come to work. He was my producer for my original show, The Rap Game. And then when I took over this time slot and became brand manager almost four years ago in April, he was my producer. And then he quit, and then we had Kevin Neal sub in, and poor Kevin did not care for sports. He was just a body, and he couldn't wait for us to hire someone. So then we found Louis Prejean, MC Louis P. And then he left for California after being with us for quite a while. Then we had Troy Brashear Jr. fill in, and Troy was like, eh, I want to go to film school. I was like, all right. So he left and we hired Mr. Diaz, which many of you loved, by the way. Probably the most beloved producer I had. As <laughs> yeah, dripping sarcasm. Six months, he's gone. But then we had Hannah Five Names. Boom. My fifth producer, by the way. And now she's going on to do something uh, that is really in her wheelhouse. So she's going to be right down the hall. And now Dawson is producer number six in a four-year stretch. Now, to be fair, two of those were essentially substitute producers. But still, technically, I've had six producers. (laughs) I'm a handful. What can be said? What can be said? Oh, man. Let's talk about NFL. Let's talk about conference championships this Sunday. Of course, you can listen to those games right here starting at 2.30. On the game, it's going to start off. We got Bengals Chiefs. We got 49ers Eagles. All right, Dawson. You've been studying on this all week. You're ready to roll. Let's make our picks for the conference championships. Once again, it is our poll question of the day. Who do we think is going to go out there and win and set up the game for Super Bowl 57 in Glendale, Arizona? Let's start with the AFC Championship game. All of Louisiana is picking the Cincinnati Bengals because everyone loves Joe Burrow. He's now the most beloved athlete associated with the state of Louisiana. He has surpassed Drew Brees since Drew is retired. Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, they just crushed Buffalo in Orchard Park, New York. They're going to Kansas City, a place where they rallied to come back and beat Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs when Patrick Mahomes was healthy last year. So they're not going to be intimidated. They're 3-0 against Mahomes, Burrow and Chase are. But their offensive line is a little banged up, but that... Hasn't really mattered all that much. Everyone has Bengals moving on to the Super Bowl for the second straight year. No one thinks the Chiefs have a chance, even though they're in their fifth straight AFC championship game. How do you think this game is going to go down and why?
4: Well, I'll start with this. Um, This whole slate of games is one of the more impressive ones I think we've had in a long time in the conference championships. Um, From just a perspective of win streaks, Cincinnati's won 10 games in a row, Kansas City's won six, and then to go on the other side, the Niners have won 12 in a row, and the Eagles, while their streak isn't technically long, if you only count games started by their starting quarterback, they've won seven in a row. So not only do we have, in theory, the two best teams in the league, the only maybe argument you could have made was Buffalo, but down the stretch they weren't. So we have the best four teams, and we have the four hottest teams, which it doesn't always work out that way, so that makes me excited in general about the matchups. In the AFC, and this is the one I've gone back and forth with, I was a little bit more certain on my NFC pick throughout the week, but I I, I kind of changed this morning, actually, on the AFC pick. Um, I think the situation with Burrow being what he is right now, he's not going to be intimidated by the moment. We know that. He's arguably the second-best quarterback in the league behind the guy he's facing off against, Patrick Mahomes. Um, I think he's doesn't really, you don't really have any doubts about the way he's going to play in these big games. Correct. As for Mahomes, I don't think you have any doubt either, but you have some doubts on the health side. So that's kind of where I went back and forth. Now, if you've been keeping up with Twitter and of course the, uh, all the journalists and investigative reporters on Twitter, Mahomes looked pretty comfortable walking away from the podium this week. Reports are that he's felt pretty good and looked pretty good in practice. So that's ultimately where I changed my mind here. I was thinking Bengals all week long, Ooh. but I've and maybe this is me falling victim to uh, to social media and, and you know buying into the narratives. But I think Mahomes is going to be okay. I think the medical staff's going to get him ready to go enough to where not only can he make throws, of course, but he's going to be able to move around a little bit more than we think. Um, and so, therefore, I'm I'm going to take the Chiefs. I think it's a close game. The Chiefs have gotten really good pressure in the last month or so. Jones is a bad man. So they've got guys who can pressure Burrow. Again, I, I kind of teased this earlier in the week. Is the Bengals' offensive line play last week the exception or the rule? I think it's the exception. And we've seen that they struggle at times. Um, I think they pulled it together for one week, but I think the Chiefs present some different issues. I think they get pressure. Um, and I think Mahomes makes a couple of plays during this game that make you go, okay, I know everyone wants to crown Burrow as the guy now. This is still Patrick Mahomes' league right now. Woo.
3: That's hard to argue against. You make a compelling argument. Man. Man, now you're making me doubt my, my selection. Sometimes it, it, things happen where it's all about the narratives. And the narrative has been Burrow, Chase, Bengals own Mahomes Chiefs. They're going to make it 4-0. and They're going to go back to the Super Bowl. It's a done deal. Right? And that's been the narrative that we've heard for nearly a week. And when that happens, it always gives me pause. Because it's not as if Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs fell fell off a cliff. We're talking about two equally balanced teams. And that game last year could have easily went the other way. It should have. The Chiefs had a lead. They let it get away from them. Do you think, like, do we not believe that's not something that's on the forefront of their minds as well? That this isn't a revenge game because they're trying to put together a dynasty and you interrupted that in a game that they should have won at home and they let it get away. You don't think that's in their crawl? Like these guys are competitors as well. They're, they're just as competitive as the Bengals are.
4: That that's, that's another thing here that I don't think we're talking enough about. Yeah. And, I think it's a little bit more prevalent in college. Of course, we've seen Kirby Smart like convince his players that they're underdogs when they're yes. by far the best team and, in the and, world. And,
3: and Nick Saban did that. That's where he learned that from. <laughs>
4: and so yeah, I don't know it if too. it plays as much into it, but Kansas City all of a sudden is underdogs in this game. They're the they're the you know I it's, mean they're playing at home in Arrowhead They're the number dangerous, one.
3: Dangerous. It's dangerous when you're the home dog. Like it's just something. That gives me pause. And the fact that he's looked good in practice this week. Look, they'll do whatever it is. They'll shoot him up with whatever drugs they need to to get him out there to try to be as mobile as possible. That said, I'm still sticking with Cincinnati. I, I just, there's something about the matchup and there's something about Burrow and the way they he carries himself in big games and in big moments. They weren't intimidated by the stage last year, by going into Arrowhead. The noise is not going to be a factor. You could tell it impacted the Jaguars, especially late in that divisional game, right? It's not going to bother Cincinnati. But I think this is a close game. I do think it's a close game. I think it's a whew, 31-30 Bengals over the Chiefs. I think it is a that type of close game. I think... It's back and forth. It could turn on a dime. But I'm going 31-30. Bengals over the Chiefs. Bengals get back to the Super Bowl for the second straight year.
4: The last thing, I know we have to get to the other game, but the last thing I'll say about this game is if Kansas City loses and struggles, I think it might be a situation where you look back and go, Tyreek Hill not being there was a factor. Correct. Because Cincinnati clearly has the better weapons with Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and those guys. Yes. So, If they can't find those guys, and look, I think second- and third-tier receivers can beat Eli Apple, so we will see, but that's that's fair. you might look back and say, I wish we had Hill on the roster still. I think Kansas City has the
3: best weapon of anyone. Cincinnati has more weapons, if that makes any sense, because Kelsey is unstoppable. So, I agree, but I still go Cincinnati 31-30. Let's quickly go over to the NFC Championship game. Eagles- Lots of questions if they had peaked too early. They proved that they didn't by crushing the faces of the Giants, their division rival, in the divisional game. Jalen Hurts, guy can beat you both ways. They have two really good wide receivers and Brown and Devonta on the outside. They can run the ball with Miles Sanders, and they got a salty defense, and it's going to be at home in Philly. But the 49ers may have the best defense of any team left. They have weapons with Debo Samuel. George Kittle, and they have two really good running backs in McCaffrey and Elijah Mitchell. Question mark, of course, is will the shoe drop finally for Brock Purdy? 49ers, Eagles, who do you like? You're
4: wearing Eagle Green, by the way, today. I wouldn't call it Eagle Green. It's more of a (laughs) teal. But anyway, this this one's a little more simple for me. I think both teams are really, really good and pretty evenly matched. I think... The Niners' defense might be slightly better, but I think that gets a little bit neutralized because of the Eagles' home field advantage and the way that that can impact the game. Um, what it comes down for me is the quarterback I trust the most. That's where I default when situations are really close. That's why I went with Mahomes in the other matchup. Um, I think Jalen Hurts is the guy I trust more. I know Purdy's been great, uh, but I also saw the Louisiana and Cajun defense shut him down uh, in Ames a few years ago. So, oh, there it is. I think. It's close, and I trust Hurts a little bit more. I think Purdy finally looks like a rookie a little bit. I still think he plays well, but I think Hurts makes the difference. I think the Eagles win this game uh, in a pretty close one, but I think they get to the Super Bowl. I'm on the other side,
3: and I'm on the other side for one reason. San Francisco has the better coach, and I think in big moments and big games, coaching matters. And when you have two teams that are so evenly matched up It boils down to that. It's going to be a grudge match. This is going to be... If you love old-school, physical, defensive-minded football with a lot of running the football, this is going to be your game. The other game, not so much. This is going to be your contest. I just like San Francisco to win the game, and it has nothing to do with Brock Purdy. I, I think they're going to get the ball to Debo Samuel and Kittles enough. They're going to run the football. I think San Francisco's defense is going to get a turnover. I think they're going to force Jalen Hurts into a a one costly turnover, and that's going to be the difference in the game. And I think they win a slow-scoring kind of slugfest 24-20. I like San Francisco to win this game, to gut out a win. It won't be pretty. It will be ugly at times, but I like that for San Francisco 24-20. And our Super Bowl, in my opinion, will be Bengals versus 49ers. Your Super Bowl is now Chiefs versus Eagles.
4: Correct. Opposite ends here. We'll
3: Opposite see. ends. And look, I'll be completely transparent. This could easily go the other way. Like, these are both, for me, coin flip games.
4: It just is. Like I said, I, I think two great matchups like for the first time in a long time like by far the the four teams you want to see that deserve to be playing on this weekend
3: Whew. keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day we're going to update it throughout today's show here on rp3 and company
1: this is rp3 and company on the game 1037 lafayette and 1041 lake charles southwest louisiana's sports station your home for the lsu tigers and houston astros rp3 grew up dreaming of one day playing right field for the atlanta braves just like his hero dale murphy
3: i wanted to grow up and be dale murphy
1: little raymond though wasn't quite the caliber of athlete of his childhood hero as his lone highlights as a ball player were being beamed. twice in the head Explains a lot. Back to more RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
3: poll question of the day what will be the super bowl 57 matchup in glendale arizona it's conference championship weekend right now let's look at the latest results 43 percent of you say Bengals versus 49ers that's how i'm going 40 percent of you say Bengals versus eagles 13 percent say chiefs versus eagles and four percent of you say chiefs versus 49ers keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day and keep leaving your comments also Friend of the show, Delta Media's very own Aaron has chimed in. Words that end in C-E where you don't pronounce the E. It's a little bit of education here, courtesy of Aaron with our Travis Kelsey conversation from earlier. Ice, mice, twice, thrice, pace, face, race, place, grace, just to name a few. He also said splice, spice, and nice. So shout out to Aaron for helping us understand how to properly pronounce Travis Kelsey's name and that it's not as weird as we believed it to be. Thanks. The more you know, that's what we do here on RP3 and Company. We have you involved in the show to help educate others. (laughs) Oh, man. Hour number two is in the books on this Friday edition of RP3 and Company. Coming up, jam-packed final hour. Jay Walker will join us, voice of the Raging Cajuns, Jeff Willis, LSUE Hall of Fame baseball coach, and the final segment with Hannah Five Names All on Deck. That's coming up right here on the game. Whoa. final hour of today final hour of the week has arrived and we're going to finish strong as we're going to start off our final hour with the longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns Jay Walker joins us as we talk all things vermilion and white Jay appreciate the time thanks for waking up early bud how are you
5: I'm terrific I um I've almost got the first cup of coffee poured
3: <laughs> thank you thank you bud thank you for that Uh, let's go back to last night's game because no Jordan Brown, the preseason player of the year, a guy that was their leading scorer and their second leading rebounder. And yet this team didn't miss a beat. They led wire to wire against a quality opponent and they did so with fairly with, with ease really Jay, how impressive was last night's win for Bob Marlin's team?
5: I don't know about the rest of you, but it was pretty damn impressive to me. Um, You know, one of the things that the Cajuns have done during this winning streak, more often than not, not in every game, but more often than not, they've come out and got off to a great start and established a double-digit or more lead. And then the other team, you know, fights back and they cut into the lead, but but the game has never in danger of being lost. Well, last night, they came out and threw a haymaker. uh, And, you know, they they knocked Troy to the canvas immediately, and the Trojans never were able to get up. That's pretty impressive because Troy is a quality opponent. And for the Cajuns without Brown to come out and just punch him in the nose the way they did, um, that was as impressive a win as I've seen all year long, Ray, to be honest with you.
3: It was impressive, and, you know, they faced a team that had the second-best three-point defense in the league, and they just came out and started shooting the lights out, and Troy had no answer for it, and that kind of set the tone early. And the other thing that stands out to me, Jay, was their defense. Not only did they shoot the ball well, the Cajuns did. They frustrated and made every single possession difficult for Troy, they were committed to playing defense. They've been that way for the better part of the year. Bob loves when his teams are that way. And really, that kind of set the tone.
5: Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that was the story of the game more than anything else, uh, was the way they came out and defended in the first half. You know, Troy is averages right at nine three-point makes per game. They had two last night. Um, you know, now they got – they got some backdoor cuts and some layups in the second half, but I, Bob drew the analogy to, to play in Denver in the past. You know, the the backdoor cuts are the three point shot—they're going to get one of them, and they chose to take the three pointer away. Uh, and by the time Troy got something going offensively, game was already over. So uh, it was the defense in the first half. I thought Kobe Julian came off the bench gave him a, a, I thought a huge spark—and um, you know, game game was this one was over early. And uh, now that's uh, seven in a row, and now you turn your attention to some Eagles.
3: This team is so deep, and when you have a guy, most teams, even at this level, if you lose the preseason conference player of the year, it's going to be a struggle. But this Raging Cajuns team, the way the roster is constructed and the way certain guys have truly developed over the last couple of years – into full-fledged all-around players like greg williams jr like terrence lewis ii they can absorb a loss like jordan brown not many teams in this conference not many teams in the country can really do that jay
5: well i think it shows the maturity of this team you know this is a veteran group it's got seniors it's got leaders and um you know, Jordan goes down, and I don't think that they had to say a whole lot to each other about what was expected with Brown out. I think everybody understood they had to elevate their game a little bit, uh, and I think that they were determined to do so. But, I, but that's maturity, um, Ray. That, that's what that is. That's a mature basketball team that wasn't going to let the loss of a key player stop them from taking care of their business. Now you know. Um, hopefully, you get Jordan back on Saturday, and um, and you go from there. But um, you know, I hate the term "next man up." Okay, I, it's a cliche, and I hate it. I I would rather say it. It gave somebody else an opportunity to step up, and I thought, and and I thought Kobe Julian was that guy last night. I mean, he only gave him 13 minutes. But those were 13 awfully good minutes, especially at the beginning. Hit a couple of shots. He got a couple of deflections on defense. Um, and was part of that 11 to nothing spurt that put that game away early.
3: He gave them a great thing. And, and a couple of years ago, this is a team that needed Kobe Julian to be a starter and to give them a ton of minutes. Now, because what they've been able to do through recruiting and through the development of their own guys – You're looking at having Kobe maybe just be in that role as a guy that's going to come off and give you an offensive spark off the bench now, and that's going to be a huge advantage moving forward for this team. Let's talk about Saturday's game. Quick turnaround. Georgia Southern's another one of those teams that's kind of in the middle of the pack. They're trying to climb up the standings and try to catch the Cajuns. What can we expect to see Saturday night inside the Cajun Dome when the Eagles come to town?
5: Well, Brian Berg um, is a disciple of Chris Beard, so they're going to they're going to come in and play defense first. Um, this was a team that wasn't very highly valued before the season started. They were picked, uh, I think, in the bottom three of the league. And then, um, you know, toward the end of their non-conference, they started playing really well. And uh, then conference play comes along, and they're going uh, they're going out and slapping people around. Now they've lost a couple, so their record has slipped. Uh, a little bit, but Caden Archie is a good guard for them. Watch Savrasov, the guy who plays in the middle, because he's, he's big enough to pound inside, but he's also going to step out and shoot the three point shot. Like a lot of European players do. And, um, and and he's a difficult matchup as a result of that, but they're going to come in and they're going to do the best they can to defend and try to slow down uh, this Cajun team a little bit and, and see if they can keep them from getting off to a good start. Because, as I said, that's something that's kind of been a pattern during the seven-game winning streak is, you know, the, 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 these games are kind of over with early. And uh, the Georgia Southern you can't allow that to happen.
3: We're talking with Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. All right, bud, let's shift gears a little bit to baseball. You know, we touched on it a little bit the last time we spoke, but – Last year, win the conference tournament, gets an NCAA regional, kind of a breakthrough year for Matt Deggs, really the first full season of his team, it being his team. What should the realistic expectations be for Matt Deggs' squad entering this season?
5: Well, you know, I think I think it's the expectation is that they're going to challenge. They're not going to be the favorite, not by any stretch of the imagination. And – you know, I'm really interested to see what um, what the coaches' poll looks like because, you know, Southern Miss is in the league now. Old Dominion is in the league now. And then you had, you know, Texas State, who went to a regional final a year ago. You had Georgia Southern, who hosted a regional. You had Coastal Carolina that was in a regional. So I think I just rattled off about six teams. And I will be interested to see what order the coaches put them in. Cajuns, I don't think will be uh, picked first, but they could be picked anywhere from second to sixth um, because this is going to be a league this year where you better come strap it on every weekend. You're going to get a couple gimmies along the way because a few teams not very good, but more often than not, when you go out on the weekend, it is going to be a difficult time, uh, and you're going to have to play really, really good baseball. So. I don't know where they're going to be picked. I think fans expect the Cajuns to contend. And and really, I think anything more than that would probably not be reasonable.
3: What's going to be the big question mark for you as they begin the season about this team?
5: I was talking with Barry McKnight yesterday. Barry's 21 years now doing Troy, and he's one of the nicer human beings in our league. And We had lunch yesterday, and we were – We were talking about and he said he asked the same question you did. I said, well, you know, when I look out there, I don't see a Kevin Ardwan, I don't see an Austin Fought, I don't see a Hunter Moody. I don't see a Zach Osborne. I don't see a Tony, uh, uh, rather, Austin Robichaux. I don't see a Carson Baranek, and I don't see a Gunnar Leger. You know, one of the things that the Cajuns have had when they've been really good is they've had a Friday night guy that when he walked out, The other team said, well, let's see if we can get Saturday and Sunday because we're not going to get tonight. Um, They don't have one like that. Uh, And so, you know, we saw last year that Seth Thibodeau was not afraid to go get a starting pitcher in the fourth inning uh, if he felt like he needed to make a change to to change uh, some things that were going on. Now, Seth tells me, and, and I agree from what I've seen, that they've got more quality depth on this pitching staff and that's a good thing because they, I don't know that they got a guy who's going to go out and give you seven or eight. Um, because those guys that I mentioned earlier, I don't see any of them in the Cajun dugout. So I, I think um, the Cajuns are, are not going to overpower anybody on the mound. But if they throw strikes and play defense, I think they're going to be fine. But if you ask me my biggest concern, they don't have a, that lockdown Friday night guy. That scares you when he walks out to the mound, like they've sometimes said in the past.
3: Jay, appreciate your time as always, brother. Thank you for waking up early. Enjoy the call this weekend inside the Cajun Dome on Saturday night as the Cajuns take on Georgia Southern and enjoy your weekend, bud.
5: And uh for Cajun baseball fans, I think their first inter squad's this afternoon. So uh it, the gates will be open. If you want to go see the baseball team, go check it out. Appreciate you having me on. Ray, we'll talk again next week. Go Cajuns.
1: This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Time now for your LSU update presented by lsushop.net. Here on RP3 and Company, we talk about the sports you know and love. Baseball, football, basketball, and... Soccer? Isn't this great, man? I love soccer! Here we go, Galaxy. Here we go. Okay, maybe not soccer, but we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and Company on the game. game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
3: Oh, the Raging Cajuns basketball team gets a win last night. The men do. Bob Marlon now is tied for the second most wins in program history. They've won seven in a row. They're now 7-2 and two in Sunbelt Conference play. But the men weren't the only ones to get a dub last night for the Raging Cajuns. The women who were on the road at Georgia Southern, man, Gary Broadhead's team, you can always count on them every single season for them to start turning a corner once the calendar turns to January. Middle of January, they usually played their best basketball, which is always why they typically win at least a couple of games at the conference tournament. He just builds them that way. And they got yet another win as they slow down Georgia Southern's potent offense, frustrating the Eagles in Statesboro for a 68-58 to road victory. Broadhead's team has now improved to 12-9 and nine overall, 6-3 in Sunbelt Conference, and they uh, 63% of their shots in the second quarter. That's what we call a high percentage. Piling up 28 points to erase a one-point deficit and grab a 41-25 to halftime lead. Included in that onslaught during the frame was a 5-6 of six showing from three-point range, which included... Made three-pointers by Lene Whedon, Tamara Johnson, Destiny Rice, and Sherry Porter. Georgia Southern did make a push in the third quarter, in particular an impressive 18-3 run to create a two-possession game at 49-45 in the final minute. But the Cajun's defense, which held the Eagles, who were averaging 87.1 points per game to their lowest total of the season, rose up and came up with big stops there in the fourth quarter. An impressive road victory for the Raging Cajuns. Nine different players scored for UL, led by Whedon, who had 19. Rice chipped in 12, and Johnson had 11. While Porter also added 11. Four players scoring in double figures. Gary Broadhead's team now will get back to action as they head over to Boone, North Carolina, to take on Appalachian State, who's 8 and 12 overall and 4 and 5 in the SBC. That game will be at 1 o'clock on Saturday. So a good win for Gary Broadhead's team, who continues to turn a corner. Meanwhile, the McNeese men's basketball team is headed in the opposite direction. We had Jim Gazzola on earlier in the week, and we talked about how important this slate was for them to beat the teams that they were fighting with At the bottom of the standings. Because the way the Southland Conference Tournament works, there's 10 teams in the league. They take only the top eight. That's how it works. McNeese is on the outside looking in, battling the likes of Lamar and Incarnate Word in particular. And it would be an embarrassment if McNeese couldn't even get into the tournament which it's hosting at the Legacy Center. There in Lake Charles. Well, the Cowboys suffered their sixth Straight defeat last night, falling 70 to 65 to Incarnate Word. I asked Jim Cazolo on Tuesday if Thursday night's game was a must-win, and he said yes. It's tough. It's tough. The loss dropped the Cowboys' record to five and 16 overall, two and six now in Southland Conference play. They began SLC play two and zero. Oh. Apparently the high point of the season was Joe Jumar's Day, where they named the court after their greatest player. And it's been loss, 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 and now loss. And they're on verge of having the season get away from them. They're already in the hole to begin with because of how poor they played in non conference. To be fair, they played some tough teams. We know that. Tennessee, Baylor, got it. But they also lost to teams that he should have defeated. And now, things are starting to pile up on them. Incarnate Word, meanwhile, improves to 9-12 and 12 and 3-5 and 5 overall. Christian Shoemate scored 18 points to lead McNeese, while Jonathan Massey added 16, and Donovan O'Day had 10. The Cowboys shot only 41% from the floor, but made 6 of 25 from three-point range. That's 24%. You're not going to win many games if you're shooting that poorly, From three-point range. McNeese will now travel to Texas A&M Corpus Christi, who they've already lost to. And Corpus Christi, by the way, defeated Nichols 96-86 on Thursday night. Remember, Nichols defeated McNeese back-to-back games. So things are only going to get more difficult for John Aiken's squad as they look to finally end this losing skid. You thought Thursday was going to be a good chance. They're going to have to try to man up and take down Texas A&M Corpus Christi on Saturday. I just don't know where they go. I, I just don't know if they can make any sort of adjustment that can counter how teams are playing them. He went with the small ball lineup, and it worked, and then they adjusted by using bigs to beat them. And they just don't close out games well. They don't. So I don't know where McNeese is going to be able to turn things around with the men's basketball team. I, I just don't. Because you look at it and you go, okay, what can they do? He's gone small ball. That's not working. I just, they're in a tough spot. They really are. They're in a tough spot, and you just don't know what they can possibly do to really turn things around. The women's team, they got themselves a win. They're improving after a rough start to the season, and you were hoping that the men would be able to do the same, but it just hasn't happened for John Aiken's squad. Maybe it will, but as it stands right now, it doesn't look like it's going to. Our poll question of the day is about conference championship weekend. We'll get to figuring out what nickname we're going to give new producer Dawson next week. Not, not to worry. Many of you have already asked me about that. But we want to know, what do you think Super Bowl 57, what the matchup's going to be there in Glendale, Arizona? Right now, 41% of you now say Bengals taking on the 49ers. 40% of you say Bengals versus the Eagles, which means 80% of you, 81% of you rather, believe the Bengals are going to be in the Super Bowl. That's going against Dawson's pick of the Kansas City Chiefs. 15% of you say Chiefs versus the Eagles, and 4% of you say Chiefs versus the 49ers. We've had some good comments. Keep those comments coming. Keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day, and we'll share them before we wrap, wrap up today's show. But right now, we got to take a timeout. When we return, LSUE multiple national championship winning baseball coach. He's also been inducted into a Hall of Fame now. He's also the athletic director of the Bengals. Jeff Willis joins us next right here on rp3 and company
1: this is rp3 and company on the game 1037 lafayette and 1041 lake charles southwest louisiana's sports station your home for the lsu tigers and houston astros
3: College baseball season is upon us across the board as seasons will begin in the next few weeks, and that's what's going to be happening with one of the best programs, not only in the state of Louisiana, but in the country, a program that has set the bar for national championships, and the man who leads the LSU, Eunice Bengals and has led them to multiple state championships he's nearly won a thousand games he's been inducted into hall of fames he also serves as the longtime athletic director for all things Bengals there on the Cajun Prairie Jeff Willis joins us now coach good morning brother how are you my friend I'm I'm terrific thanks for having me Raymond hope you're well I'm doing well so how do you feel about your team heading into this season
7: (laughs) well I, I look at us. We're, we're good on paper right now. We're, we're undefeated. Um, <laughs> haven't played any games yet, um, but we've got a good group of kids. And uh, you know, when you when you look at the the hard work and the the time they spent um, this fall, and you know, we've got one of the youngest teams we've ever had here. Um, you know, a lot of question marks with that because you really don't know what to expect when they cross over the white lines. Uh, they had a tremendous fall. You know, we played twelve outside games in the fall and. You know, they, they, they won all those games, and, and we played good competition in the fall, and so that was good to see. Um, but, again, those are, those are fall scrimmages, and, and nothing really counts in the fall, and, and so we're going to find out once we get going here to, to really see what we've got going.
3: You've accomplished so much in your career. What's the biggest lesson or maybe lessons that you've learned from the time you took over the LSUE program at the ripe age of 24 to right now.
7: 24 years old, you know, when, when you get hired to, to be a, a college head baseball coach, I don't care what level of college it is. That's not a norm. And, and I was ecstatic when I was 24 years old to have that job. Um, you know, when I became the athletic director two years later, when I was 26, I got the search folder when they ran the search and I opened it up and it went through my mind. I didn't, I didn't think they knew what they were doing because they bypassed a bunch of different individuals and gave a 24 year, 24 year old a chance. Um, You know, I go back to that time, you know, I knew I was going to work hard. I knew I was going to get after it. I knew there was a lot of talent, in Louisiana. Um, I knew that, that we had, we had no scholarships. We had no assistant coaches and I knew we had to go to work. And over time we started fundraising the money and fundraise the first scholarships and fundraise the first assistant coaches salaries. And, and now I look up today and say all the, the really good players that have been through us, you know, we, we've benefited from it tremendously. And a lot of that has to do with most of it has a, has a lot to do with how kids are, were, are raised in um, South Louisiana. And, you know, it's a throwback to how really our country was 30, 40 years ago with the family values and the work ethic and the blue collaredness that those kids have. Um, and we've benefited from it. And, it's a testimony to the people of South Louisiana, because that's where, where the brunt of our team comes from, um, just the way those kids have been raised, and we benefited from it tremendously. And so I, the biggest lesson I've learned is, is this. Um, when, when Don't count us out. Don't count um, the, 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 the individual from South Louisiana out, because you know, I lived here 21 years now, and I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. And I know through hurricanes and I, through adversities and floods and, and just natural disasters that occur, just when you think that we're out of it, um, we're not out of it. Um, we might have got knocked down, but we're going to get back up. And, and that's just the testimony, and I'm proud to live here. I'm proud to be a part of this, and I call this place home and wouldn't want to be anywhere else. And so I think the biggest lesson is don't ever count us out. And I've seen it countless times. We've been down in games um and and a lot of people would, would throw in the towel and a lot of people would would you know just chalk it up hey it's not our day and i mean i've seen us down in a national championship game nine to one in the fifth and ten to two in the sixth inning and you win the game i've seen us on elimination day in in a regional tournament being down eight nothing in the sixth inning and almost getting run rolled and you win the game and then you find you know five six games later you win a national championship i I've seen walk-off home runs in national championship games. I've seen um, just a, a 14-inning thriller that took place in a national championship game when they had runners at second and third with, with nobody out and one out in the 11th and 12th inning. And next thing you know, we get out of those jams, and we wind up winning the game in the 14th inning. And so just when you think we're out, um, we're, we're not. We might have got knocked down, but but we're not out. And there's a 10-count that takes place in those boxing matches and as long as there's still an out left on the scoreboard, we still got a chance.
3: How much different is it coaching kids now than it was 20 years ago, or is that an overblown narrative?
7: I, I think that's a way overblown narrative. Um, I think everybody wants to say kids have changed. I, kids haven't changed. Um now I do think I think some of the the individuals that have held them responsible have changed some.
4: There it is. But I
7: don't think I don't <laughs> think kids have changed. Um, kids will respond, you know. And I had a big question mark this year. You know, last year we had a very we had a very veteran team with a lot of COVID holdovers, and this year you go into the youngest team you've ever had, you know, in my 21 years. And I, I was thinking to myself, can are the kids going to respond? Because we're going to coach them hard. We're going to coach them hard. We're going to demand excellence and everything that they're a part of. You Because know, we're not looking at winning on the scoreboard. That, that's, that's, that's a false narrative that you look at, that, that, that winning on the scoreboard determines if you're a winner or a loser. I, I don't believe that. I think that that's a false premise. Because you can play very, very well and come out second on the scoreboard, or you can play really bad and still win on the scoreboard. And I don't determine that, that you're a winner based on that. And so I, I look at that, and, and I look at what, what our motivation is on who these kids are going to be 10, 15, 20 years from now when they're raising their own. That tells us how successful that we're going to be. And so my biggest question was, could we coach them hard? Would they respond to that? And, and they responded with flying colors. You know, When they know that you love them, they know that you care about them, and you're in it for the right reasons of who they are as a person, they're going to respond to that. Um, but a lot of coaches are out there; they're talking that narrative, they're they're, sh- they're 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 showing that, and they're they're really just talking the talk and not really walking the walk. And the key is, if the kids know you care, they're they're going to respond to that because they because right is right and wrong is wrong. And I I I was ecstatic to watch our kids respond to that and had a tremendous fall and. I'm really looking forward to seeing what they're going to do this spring.
3: Now that you've kind of got past the COVID additional seasons, which caused some challenges for you because there's only so many roster spots and kind of maybe changes how you do things with guys that you're recruiting out of high school to come to your program, especially considering they only have a couple years to be with you, Coach. So do you feel like you're starting to finally get back to a, a sense of normalcy of what it was? Pre-pandemic, now when it comes to roster building,
7: well, yes, yes, and no. I, I think you know the COVID part of out of, is out of it now. You have got the transfer portal that that's going on, and you know all the challenges that it's created with with you know really not our level, but the four year school level. And and when guys can go and transfer every year and be eligible right away, um, you know there, there's pushes at the Division One level to go an unlimited roster at that level. You know, there, there's a push to get rid of the 25% scholarship for 27 players at the Division One level. You know, they're, they're seeing all these pushes that are happening. You know, there's a push to, to go scholarships, you know, change the scholarship structure of that. And once you see those things kind of take place, now that kind of filters us for us building our roster. We've got to adjust with the times. And so what I'm seeing, I'm seeing the four-year schools that are really – recruiting out of the portal now and they're recruiting the junior colleges um and so unless you're a top you know top 300 player in the country at the high school level you better look into the junior college route because if you're at a four-year school and you can go get somebody that 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 if i'm at a power five school and i can go get a guy that's a a, that's an all-conference guy in the southern conference or the sunbelt conference and I can now pay that individual NIL money to get them over here to the power five. And they've got all that experience underneath their belt. They're going to recruit like that. Um, And then you've got the mid-major now, all of a sudden going, all right, what guy is possibly going to leave that power five school that that kid may be a year or two more mature than that high school kid. And he's got more innings pitched more at bats under his belt at a college level. Why would they not recruit that? So then what happens to the high school kid Unless they're that top 300 player in the country, now they've got to really, really look at how do I get myself on the field? How do I get out there and get those innings? and those. So in two years I don't look up and then my career's over at that point. So we're seeing some of that, that the high school kid is not being recruited as much at the Division one level just because of the transfer portal um, for, for those Division one schools.
3: Wrapping up our conversation with Jeff Willis, longtime LSU baseball coach, also long-time athletic director for the Bengals. His team is gearing up to start the season. And, Coach, i got to ask you, you were recently inducted into the NJCAA Baseball Coaches Hall of Fame. You've won multiple national championships now, so many so that you need two hands to count them on. And you have won 942 games in 20 seasons at the helm of the Bengals. What's left for you to prove? What wakes you up every day and gets you motivated to do this year in year out?
7: Well, I don't live in the past, um, you know. I think you can learn from the past, and I think people one or two things. You know, Raymond, I, I appreciate you saying that um, about about the championships, the wins, and all that. Um, but again, when you get an award like that, that's a program award. You know, that doesn't happen without your players first and foremost doesn't happen without your assistant coaches doesn't happen without your faculty staff administrators um, and then mentors that are in your life. You know, none of that happens. So when an award like takes place like that, that is, that is a, a program award. I appreciate you saying that. Um, but why do you get up? I, I tell you why you get up. is because individuals that live in the past can go one of two ways. If, if you've had a lot of success in the past, then you're, you're prideful um, and, you're self-centered, and all you think about is yourself, and it's woe is me, and that's not right. Um, but on the other hand, if you live in your past and your past hasn't gone very, very well, then all of a sudden your past beats you up. And so there's no hope involved in that. So I, I think when you, when you have success, success based on what people think it is or the world thinks it is, then all of a sudden you, you, you don't have much humility in that. And so to, to realize that you better have some humility in your successes because guess what? The seasons always change. I mean, it's life. Cycles of life happen. The fall goes to the winter. The winter goes to the spring. The spring goes to the summer. And it always. So it doesn't matter how good things are going. At some point in time, it'll turn around the other way. But on the other hand, it doesn't matter how bad things are going right now. At some, at some point, it's going to turn around and go the other way as well. And so that provides you just clarity and to realize that, there's hope and there's humility involved in your successes and your failures to know that just get up, go to work, have a sense of excellence about yourself and see things that are bigger than yourself. And I think that's key um, to, to realize that that the day is never over for you as long as your feet hit the ground and you've got you know breath in your lungs.
3: Coach, always appreciate your time, brother. Can't wait to come out and see you guys play this season and have you back on the show. Best of luck this season, Coach. Thank you so much.
7: Thanks, Raymond. Have a great day.
1: This is RP3 and company on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 came to the station this morning to do only two things. Kick some ass and drink some beer. It's like we're almost out of beer. Well, it's kind of early for the latter, isn't it?
7: Maybe. Probably.
1: Maybe just a root beer or some flavored water. Back to more kick-ass sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
3: Clear Springs water. It's the preferred refreshing beverage of the team here at the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. And here's the reason why. Not only does it taste great and it's refreshing, it's locally bottled water. It's cheaper than anyone in town because of low overhead. They bottle their own water down in Kentwood, Louisiana. And here's the thing. You got a special event you want special water bottles for, like maybe someone's getting married in a few months. Guess what? Clear Springs Water can do private label single-serve bottles with custom labels for any business or event. Spring single-serve bottles delivered to your home or office along with five or three-gallon returnable bottles with water cooler. They also carry one-gallon bottles in drinking and spring water. It's Clear Springs Water, the preferred choice of hydration for the fine folks here at the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. I want to take a moment to thank all of our guests for helping us close out this work week the right way. James Yasko from the Lehman Time Time podcast. Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. And of course, Jeff Willis, longtime LSUE baseball coach and athletic director. We did have a poll question of the day. What will be the Super Bowl 57 matchup final results? 40% of you say it's going to be Bengals versus 49ers. That's what I think is going to happen. of you say Bengals versus Eagles. 14% say Chiefs versus Eagles, which is what Dawson went with. I love the fact that he went against the grain. And 7% say Chiefs versus 49ers. Thanks to all who voted. And, of course, thanks to all who commented, including Mr. Green, who said, I'm saying Bengals-Niners. I've had the Niners penciled in since week 6 and thought it would finally be the Bills' year. Nope. So I'm going with the team that knocked them out. By the way... C.E. Mister the Third. Do you pronounce it, or pronounce E or Hunter Pincey or Francie? L.O.L. Come on, man, really. Uh, Jamie, you need to focus on teaching music to the kids. Stop commenting on our poll questions. Seriously. <laughs> no, you know we love you, Jamie. I'm now joined for the final time inside the Game Studios by Hannah Five Names, the producer extraordinaire. It's her last day being extraordinary as a producer because. Well, it's her final day producing RP3 and Company in footnotes. It was, it seemed like yesterday that you were in the studio. I forced you to come on the air. She you did. were nervous as all get out, and you kind of hated me for making you get on the air. Where we introduced you as our official UL intern, and then you became a part-timer, and then you became a board op for high school football, and then you became a full-time producer, And now you're moving in to a new role as Delta Media Corp's social media coordinator for all the stations. Congratulations. I'm immensely proud of you, by the
9: way. Thanks, bud. (laughs) It's been a minute. I actually got to. You see the tailing involvement because the first time I sat on this side of the chair and I sat in the studio, I had pigtails and two braids. I took them out now, and this is what they look like when they're down. So now I have wavy hair, like I'm not a curl hair.
3: And when uh, it's the same thing for me. When you first got here, I had a head full of hair, and you made it all fall out. Dealing with you for the better part of year. No, I was already bald and beautiful. I was, then. Like, was
9: it just me, or <laughs> did is there a compilation of everyone else that you've hired since then?
3: <laughs> no, no, it's just life.
9: <laughs> just
3: life. I used to have hair and used to be thin, and now look at me, gloriousness. But, no, in all seriousness, I remember telling you the first time we talked that you could accomplish anything if you just put in the work. You put in the work. You killed it as a producer. Now you're moving on to a new role. I couldn't be prouder of you, and I know you're going to do great things for this station and for Delta Media, and I appreciate you being here.
9: Thanks, bud. It's been a great time. It's been a great two-plus years now of hanging out and – getting that first email 7 minutes after I sent it that says please come in for interview and sit down talk and I, here I don't I play am. around I don't play around <laughs> No and now here I am where I said to you on the first day I said I don't want to be on the air I am terrified to do so I talk too fast and now I have been on the air multiple times. People love me and probably choose me over you sometimes. That they do. And I have my they own little following. So it's a do. it's a big involvement. That's so. right.
8: The
3: cult of Hannah. Not to worry, you can still communicate with her via social media. So you'll yes. be fine.
9: I'll be involved in all of our social media. If you wanna hit up me on, you know, on Twitter or Instagram, you know, I'll probably go and say something. Most people have already commented why do you have to leave?
3: On the gram. That's yes. what the kids say, right? The, the kid, do the kids think the I, gram is on fleek still? Is that I, I, is that something?
9: I don't think fleek is a thing anymore. I don't think call it the gram because I don't go on Instagram that often. Dawson, so I'm not sure.
3: you have no idea what you're walking into. I hope you're ready, bud. We'll figure it out.
9: <laughs> don't worry. Just keep laughing.
3: It'll be fine. There it is. That's all you got to do. For the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah, five names for the new producer. Mr. Dawson, I'm Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again on Monday, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next.
5: Gun collecting starts with your very first purchase.